0: Turn, if you would, to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew. Uh, I was actually hoping nobody would show up today, but that plan didn't work. Hmm? Why did nobody show up? You'll figure that out in just a moment. We were working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, We went through the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that mourn, etc., etc. We talked about being salt and light in the world. And then Jesus introduced the rest of chapter 5 when he talked about the law. Don't think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's where he starts, which would terrify the audience because they knew, honest to goodness, Pharisees, because they were probably sitting at the back judging them while they sat in this meeting. And if I've got to be better than them, what chance is there for me? And we're going to see at the end of the chapter when he says the standard is perfection. You have to be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. But what he is doing is he is taking the Old Testament laws, commandments, instructions, and he's taking them from an outward act and moving them to a condition of the heart. He began by saying, you've heard it said, you shouldn't murder. We're all in favor of not murdering people. But I tell you, if you're angry at your brother... You are worthy of judgment. Oh shoot! We've all been angry. We've probably been angry this week. And then last week's lesson, we he says, "You have heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you have lusted after a woman in your heart, you are guilty." And we talked about cutting off arms and poking out eyes in last week's lesson. And that brings us to verse thirty-one. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now do you understand why I didn't want to be here? (laughs) I have always taught, well, usually taught, verse by verse through a passage, To me, it's easier because I always know what's next. The hard part of it is there's some passages that you just wish, well, the next part's really good. Let's just go to that. But we're going to have to deal with the topic of divorce today, which is difficult because whereas most of you have not murdered anybody, can we just agree on that? I don't know. Maybe you have and hide it real well. Divorce affects all of us. Many of us have been divorced. Many of us have children who have been divorced. Many of us have children who have married divorced people. And within society, there are lots of different views about divorce. Well, maybe I should correct that. Within society, there's one view about divorce that has nothing to do with the biblical view about divorce. There was an article in this morning's New York Times talking about how wonderful this particular divorce was. I mean, to the point that the wife of the guy that the girl was marrying started inviting the girl over and they got together and had a good time. Something like that. Go figure. Why can't we just all get along? Our society has decided that divorce is simply, well, it's just either a problem that you have to work through or it's a period of growth. There's a book that's come out recently. I've read three book reviews of it, that sometimes divorce is just the next step on your growth, you know, as a human being. And we should celebrate. We should rejoice in what's happening. But the Scripture has very definite view on what divorce is and what it's not. And that's what we're going to talk about today. In doing so, it is not my intent, it is not my goal, to heap burning coals on anybody in this class. Okay? Most of what you are going to hear today, you've heard before. You've wrestled with it. You've struggled with it. And... We just need to acknowledge that here's what the world says, and that's over here, and here's what the Bible says. And like everything else in the scripture, when it says we ought to do something, we need to acknowledge the fact that God is telling us we ought to do that for our own good. But we also acknowledge the fact that most of the things in the scripture we at different times have fallen short of. And like everything else, we confess, we repent, we rely on the Holy Spirit, and that's where we're going to end up. I don't really want a group of you coming up to me afterwards and saying, well, here's the situation, is the divorce legitimate or not? You'll do that, but I just, anyway. In order to deal with this topic, we're going to jump to a different passage. I have been hinting at different parts of the book of Matthew throughout many of these lessons, but we've just kind of hinted at them. Remember when we talked about John the Baptist, we hinted at the fact that he was arrested and that he was going to be tried and executed, but in this case, we're going to jump ahead in the book of Matthew, and we're going to just cover the passage. So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to talk about this subject of divorce. Sometimes we need to acknowledge the difference between pastors and teachers. Pastors are shepherding you and helping you along. And they have a uh, problem that they could run into. And that is, if I'm talking to you one-on-one, I want you to feel good. So I want to tell you that which makes you feel better. Teachers, on the other hand have a tendency at times to use the Word of God as a club to beat people over the head. Okay? So as a teacher who knows what the pastoring is, we have to find that middle ground where we're standing by the truth and we are, in fact, ministering to people in the congregation. So we're going to try to do that today. Okay? Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So he's coming from the north, he's going to Jerusalem, he's taking the route on the other side of the Jordan River, and he's healing people. What's significant about this? He is doing his ministry. He is doing what he's supposed to be doing. And he's doing things nobody else can do. So if you're a good Pharisee and you're watching him do this, first off, you don't like the crowds. You want to run them off. You want to trap him because you know you can't do the things that he's doing. I mean, if you sat on the other side of the river and uh, did equal miracles, maybe they would come to you. But if all the healing is on that side of the river... You know you've got to do something. So as the Pharisees do regularly in the scripture, they come to Jesus to trap him. We're going to see lots of these occurrences as we work through the rest of the book of Matthew next year. They're coming to trap him. And what are they going to do? They're going to talk about, hmm... And Pharisees came up to him and tested him. There it is right there. They're testing Jesus, which I might add is usually a foolish thing to do. Just an observation. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, let's remind ourselves of the different viewpoints, because we're going to talk more about these in just a moment. At one end of the spectrum is, you can't divorce anybody for any reason whatsoever. At the other end of the spectrum is, any reason's good enough. I just don't like you. You're out of here. You burnt the dinner. You're out of here. Your mother... No, we won't go there. (laughs) Any and every reason. That's the observation. Jesus, do you think it's okay to divorce people for any cause at all? That's the question. I might add, in the spectrum that we're in today, we are way, way, way over here. I mean, we're falling off the edge over here. You don't even have to have a reason. Just I'm tired, I want to go to somebody else, I'm going to dump them. So that's the question that is posed to Jesus. Now, there are two Jewish schools of thought that are at these two extremes. And what they want Jesus to do is to pick which end he's in. Because then the other side will hate him. And then the people who support one side or the other will hate him. And by golly, we'll get him involved in politics and he'll be run to the ground. We're going to get him. We've got him trapped. We see this all the time. You know, people come and they ask. Here's a question. If you say yes, then this group's going to hate you. If you say no, this group's going to hate you. What does he do? He answered, have you not read... Let's just stop right there. He is telling them nothing that they don't already know, but they've all forgotten. Don't we know that? I mean, you and I, most of us, have read the Scripture for a lot of our lives. We know what it says. We just don't want to do it. You know, less than two weeks ago, don't be angry. But we love being angry. We like being angry. We have a good cause to be angry. We know what the scripture says. We just don't want to do it. He starts by telling them, you've read, you have read this. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What he does is he takes them back to the story in Genesis of Adam and Eve And he says, this is the intent of God with regard to marriage. Now, this is interesting because we want to immediately jump to the problems. We immediately want to jump to, well, here's a case that's really hard. Yes, it's really hard. You know what they say. Hard circumstances make bad laws. Unless you understand the purpose and meaning of marriage to begin with, divorce obviously is not an issue. It's like we've said in here before. People come up and they ask the question, okay, you're hiding the Jews in the basement, the Nazi comes to the door, do you lie to the Nazi or do you not? This is some great dilemma. And it is. But the odds are the Nazis aren't coming to your door. The odds are your neighbor's coming to the door and you don't want to talk to them, so you lie to them and tell them you're busy. If you're not fundamentally committed to telling the truth, then there is no discussion about the Nazi coming to the door. Why would you not lie to them if you lie to everybody else? Unless you are firmly committed to the truth of what God ordained marriage to be, then the rest of it isn't a problem at all. If I believe that marriage is simply something to satisfy my needs at this point in time, and tomorrow if my needs change or if my needs aren't being met, I'm out of here. Marriage and divorce are just events in life. And that's where we are today. That's where we are today. We need to recapture the idea that marriage is the picture of Christ's relationship with the church, and it is not to be broken. It is not to be broken. What does he say here? Therefore, a man shall, well, let's back up just a little bit. In the beginning, he made them male and female. We're not going to have a topic, a discussion about that topic, but just have it out there very clearly. It says male and female. This is not a discussion about marriage. It's a discussion about divorce. But it does say male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one You are to leave those relationships that were most important to you to create a new relationship that is most important to you. Does this mean you thumb your nose at your parents? No, you should not do that. But what it means is that the marriage relationship takes precedent over everything, every other human relationship. We tell the couples that we do marriage mentoring with, okay, at some point you're going to have kids, the odds are. You're going to have kids, and those kids are going to consume all of your time. But at some point in time, those kids are going to leave. At least I've been told I haven't reached that point yet. (laughs) At some point, those kids are going to leave. And if you have centered your relationship on the kids, the marriage is going to fall apart. The marriage needs to, has to take precedent over any other human earthly relationship. That's the intent that God had for marriage. So the two are no longer, so they are no longer two, but one flesh Two people become one flesh. Now, it's always fun talking with our mentoring couples because on the first night we ask them what this phrase means. And there's all kinds of wonderful spiritual answers, okay? They don't ever want to talk about sex, okay? But that's part of this, right? That is part of becoming one flesh, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So, here's God, and he says those two have become one. Here's man, no, I have a different vote. I want to change the answer. I want to break this relationship apart for any and every reason. The reason that we have such a view of divorce today is, that be, is because we have such a low view of marriage. We do. Let's just face it. We do. We view marriage as, at best, a contract. The Bible views marriage as a covenant relationship between two individuals and between those two individuals and the community of which they are a part. There is a reason that you get married in front of family and friends. Because you're sealing a covenant relationship in front of the community. And I might add, it is a job of the community to support that marriage relationship. Sometimes we forget about that. And we say, nee, I'm not going to get involved. They may be having difficulties, but it's not my problem. Well, we need to take an active role in the marriages within our community. Whatever that community is, our church community, your neighbors, your family, we need to lovingly help people who are struggling with their Marriages. And I will add, I'm not going to have a show of hands. Do not raise your hand. But I would contend that all of us who have stayed married have had difficult patches within our marriage where we needed somebody to come alongside and say, Let me help you. Okay? So, that's the purpose. <sighs> Of marriage. Can we stop now? They said to him, the Pharisees, Ah, we've caught you. You, Jesus of Nazareth, are contradicting the scripture. We have you. If what you're saying is true, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? If you go over to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses says, if you're going to have a divorce, this is how you're going to do it. Ah, Jesus has just been caught contradicting the Old Testament. Boy, do we have him now. But Jesus isn't going to fall for it. Because you see, they're sitting here talking about Moses commanding a certificate of divorce. As if somehow this shows that I am in control and I am a great person because I am getting a divorce. He said to them, because Of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you, not commanded, allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Let's just get to the root of the problem today, right now, and just push all of you over the edge. Why does divorce exist because of the hardness of our hearts. Now, we're going to get into a discussion, so I'll let you off the hook. We're going to get into a discussion. Does it take two hardnesses or one hardness? And the answer is yes. Why is there disease in this world? Because sin entered the world. Nature is not what nature ought to be. It is a function of sin. Why do human beings do evil and wicked things? Why do human beings just do things that are just annoying to people? Hardness of heart. It is sin. We've trapped you, Jesus. You say that marriage is irrevocable. You cannot get out of it. What God has joined together, don't let people break. You have contradicted Moses who says, it's okay, here's the certificate. You found something unpleasing in your wife, which is actually what the passage says. There's something unpleasing. You didn't like her. You got rid of her. Give her a piece of paper. End of story. The marriage is over. I do remember several years ago, several, several years ago, on National Public Radio they were talking about Jewish divorces today among Orthodox Jews, and they have to have a certificate. And sometimes the man will not give the certificate. So the male members of the woman's family will take the reluctant man to the cemetery to remind him that widows do not need a certificate. Just a thought. (laughs) (coughs) The reason that Moses allowed divorce was because of the hardness of their hearts. There are some times when sin so grips us that the consequences of the sin require an out so that we don't do that which is even worse. You know, I've always been amazed. You've seen the little symbols, at fire stations, police stations, whatever, you know, the drop off your baby. You've seen them, right? And my first thought is, that's horrible. What they're saying is if you drop off your baby here, There will be no consequences against you at all. I'm going, how hard can we be? But the reality is, the other option, which is where you drop the baby off in the dumpster, is even more horrendous. So we as a society have decided, drop it off at the fire station, where at least it will get the help that it needs. Because the alternative is so much worse. Does that mean it's good to drop your baby off at the fire station? No. But it's better than other things that could happen. Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. And we might comment on the state of things at the time, right? We're talking here predominantly to the men giving a divorce to the wife, okay? In the society of the time, that's the way it probably would have worked. And if, uh, if a woman is the wife of a man, that means the man is responsible for, for providing her with her sustenance, her food, her provisions that she needs. And if he kicks her out without providing for her, then he's done something bad. But she's in this nebulous state if he doesn't provide a certificate of divorce and she can't remarry and she can't... I mean, Moses said, this is bad. You've got to do something about it. But from the beginning, it was not so. Back to the earlier comment. Until we truly understand the importance of marriage, we will not understand why divorce is so bad. It is interesting in the marriage mentoring material that we use, a big part of it is this long questionnaire. You answer these 150 questions, and it's really just to guide the discussion for the rest of the sessions because even good couples will have 30 or 40 things on this list that they just haven't talked about. But one of the questions that used to be on the list but isn't on the list now, is if my spouse committed adultery, the marriage would be over. True or false? And it's interesting because the preferred answer is false. Even if your spouse commits adultery, does not mean you have to break up the marriage. Now... The professionals who deal with this on a daily basis will tell you, can a marriage recover from an affair? It can. It's just really, really hard. It just is. Better not to get into that to begin with. But once again, the key word is allowed, not command. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. He's repeating the same thing that he said over in Matthew chapter 5. And here is what we refer to traditionally as the exception clause. In what condition, under what conditions, in what state is marriage allowed to be broken? And the answer is sexual immorality. The word, the Greek word here is porneia, which is where we get the word pornography. And it means, well, what does it mean? That's actually produced a lot of discussions. Remember I said this spectrum here, okay? The general understanding is it is adultery. It is sexual immorality, Within marriage, with someone outside the marriage. I'll put that clause in. I told you that story last week. Sexual immorality within marriage is having an affair, having sexual contact with someone else. And that is the exception clause to allow a divorce. Now, why would that be? Well, let's go back to the Old Testament. Someone is caught in the act of adultery. What happens to them? They stone them. They killed them. Now, let's say that I am caught in the act of adultery and they take me out and they stone me. Guess what? My wife is now a widow. She's free to remarry. Obviously, I'm not. I'm dead. We laugh at this, but think about it for just a moment. Bring this up into the New Testament time period. The Romans... The Romans are controlling the civil society. And they are not real keen on killing anybody without their permission. Now, with their permission, you can kill lots of people. Or they can kill lots of people. That's why Jesus in order for him to be executed, had to be brought before the Roman official. You know, if in good Old Testament days, if he had been charged with heresy, the Jews would have had the authority to deal with him. But in a society with the Romans, the Romans had to make a judgment. It's an interesting discussion when you get into the story, which we will, about the woman brought to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery, There were no Romans involved. I don't think anybody really expected anybody to get stoned that day. Okay? But that's a whole different story. So, in the New Testament time, under Roman control, we couldn't take the guilty party out and stone them. But we're going to act, the Scripture says, as if that happened. So the innocent party, the party that did not commit adultery is free to get a divorce and remarry because in the eyes of the law, the other party is dead. Now, the other party can't remarry because, why not? They're dead. Now, it's interesting because that's not the only definition that people have of porneia. I start with that one because if you pushed for a position of this church, that is what we would do. That was what we would expect a definition to be. There are those who believe pornea means immorality that was done during the engagement period. You remember in a Jewish society, a A man and a woman were engaged to be married. And it's a lot stronger than what we use, the word engagement. But they were betrothed. And at some point in the future, a year later, they're actually married. Well, what if something happened in that time period? They're not having sexual relations. So if she shows up pregnant, obviously something's gone wrong, right? Where have we heard this story before? The angel comes to Mary and says, You will conceive a child. And Moses, I mean, not Moses, Joseph, nice, sweet, kind Joseph, says, Okay, I'm going to divorce her and put her away quietly. Why does he need to divorce her? They're just engaged. In a Jewish society, they're hooked. And then the angel comes to him and says, Take her, because the child is a child of God. There are those who would believe that porneia means sexual misconduct within that engagement period. The third option that we have is that it means an invalid marriage to begin with. Remember a moment ago we talked about John the Baptist. John the Baptist is out preaching in the wilderness, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, And then he gets arrested. Why is he arrested? He's not arrested for preaching that the kingdom of heaven is hand. He's arrested because he tells Herod, you married your brother's wife, and that marriage is invalid because you're not allowed to marry your brother's wife. And if you go back to the book of Leviticus, there's discussions about who you can and can't marry. Okay, you can't marry your stepmother. You can't marry, I mean, you see the list over there. The Catholic Church today, and we've spent a lot of time talking about Catholics in the last two months with our Reformation series, but I'm going to talk about this to their credit, has a very strong view of marriage. And to them, once a marriage is consummated, you become one flesh in the eyes of God. There is no breaking it. At all Now, if you wake up the day after you're married and you find out your husband has another wife in Toledo, that marriage was invalid. and you get an annulment. You're not getting a divorce, you're getting an annulment. That marriage was never a valid marriage, in the same way that King Herod's marriage was never a valid marriage. And that is another option, which, to me, has some credit to it. So, what's not on the list? Well, I just got tired of them. You know, we just grew apart. I grew older. She grew older. I want to go this way. She wants to go this way. We're going to get a divorce. That's not on the list. It just isn't. Well, I'm a Christian, and they're not a Christian. I want a divorce. Well, first off, you're not supposed to marry them if you're a believer and they're not a believer. But Paul actually deals with this exact topic. He does because at the time when Christianity was really getting started, it would have been quite common for one member of the household to become a believer and the other not to. And he says, stay together. You are supposed to win them over With what? Your gentle and quiet spirit. Now, it's addressed to wives married to pagan husbands. I have no trouble with turning it around and saying, husbands married to pagan wives. What's he telling them? Don't badger them to death. It won't work. But with your gentle and quiet spirit, your household receives grace And the children can be raised in a Christian environment. (coughs) Well, I'm just not having any fun anymore. I'm not happy. And here we get to the root of almost every modern American problem. God wants me to be happy, right? I'm not happy being married to the person I'm married to. Don't I have a right to? No, you don't. You just don't. Let me let you in on a secret. Here's the Christian viewpoint of the world. You ready for it? Here's this life that we're living. Here it is right here. And here's eternity. Keep going that way. I'll tell you when to stop. God is preparing you for eternity. And whether you are outwardly happy within your marriage or not is not really the issue. But don't, doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, actually, He does for eternity. But for right now, mm, not so much. Now, there's two more reasons that are given, oftentimes, to allow a divorce. The first one is abandonment. They just left, and they're not coming back. It happens. And there are those who will take the passage about not denying the other partner the Sexual favors, et cetera, that are expected within marriage. And they say, if that's not being done, then that is a cause for divorce. The third one is the one that prompts the most discussion in our society today. I read a blog, Christian blog, just three, four weeks ago, where the woman was saying, we need to be open to divorce. Otherwise, we're telling men they can just beat up their wives anytime they want to. If we force people to stay in marriages, we're allowing the men to use the women as punching bags. Therefore, we have to be more open and more ready to accept divorce as an option. Now, back to our earlier comment. This is a hard situation. Hard situations make bad laws because you're always looking for the exception. But here's what we're going to say. Women, well, let's start with men. Men, you're not allowed to punch your wife. Let's just, I mean, let's just put it out on the table and say you're not allowed to do it. At that point, you come to the elders of the church, and you try to deal with the situation. At that point, you may, need, you may need a civil divorce in order to remove yourself legally from the guy that's beating you up. My 21-year-old daughter was telling me yesterday of a friend of a friend's who is 22 years old being beat up by the husband and is running away, and she should. Ladies, you should never, ever, 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 ever allow abuse to occur. Now, at this point, I have lots of things to say, but some of them fall into the category, oh, you're going to blame the victim, and I'm not going to do that. But I do know that when young people are looking at young people to marry... Sometimes they are blind to things that they ought to see. The book of Proverbs say, have nothing to do with an angry man. Just don't put up with it. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm kind of dumbfounded. You read these stories. There was one in the paper just two weeks ago. You know, this man is beating up his girlfriend, and then they get married. Why do you do that? because we're not following the instructions of Scripture. We're not. Now, none of that is to excuse the action of abuse. It's just not. But in that situation, you get into a difficult question, because right here it clearly says... If you divorce because of sexual immorality, the innocent party is allowed to remarry. The guilty party is not allowed to remarry. But wait a minute. God wants me to be happy. I need to be married to be happy, or I need to have sex to be happy. And in order to be a godly person to have sex, I need to be married. Therefore, and we just. There is nothing in the scripture, nothing in the scripture that says you have a right to remarry after divorce. And this is where we do get in trouble. And this is where the pastoral side and the teacher side kind of run into conflict. I mean, we've had situations, you know, my wife says this couple, I mean, they just, he's just a bad guy. They get a divorce. Well, I hope she marries somebody nice because she, she, and she does. She deserves some, But you know what? The scripture is pretty clear. Scripture is pretty clear. So what happens if you do remarry? What did we start with? We confess. We repent. We rely on the Holy Spirit. And we seek the forgiveness of God. That's what we do with every problem. Let's keep reading. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. The disciples hear this story. You mean, if I get married, there is no getting out of it? What if she snores? (laughs) What if she can't cook worth a flip? My mother says when she got married, she could cook Spanish rice and chocolate cake neither of which my father liked. (laughs) But she learned very well. You mean I can never get out? Well, you will get out eventually. It's like uh, John Piper says, marriage is not forever. It's just for this life. Remember? In heaven there is no marriage and all that. Okay. the disciples say wouldn't it be better not to be married if there's no getting out and what does jesus say but he said to them not everyone can receive this saying but only those to whom it is given paul in the book of corinthians deals with this exact issue if you remember in first and second corinthians the Church at Corinth had sent Paul a bunch of questions and he answered them back. And one of them, is it better not to marry? And he says, yes, it is better not to marry. You can do mission things. You can do ministry things that you would not be able to do if you were married. But most of you can't do that. Most of you can't. How do you know if you're not in that category? Well, if you're a 25-year-old guy and you're thinking about sex, you're not in that category. Okay? You need to find a wife is what Paul tells them. Let's finish right here. Not everyone who receives this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. We talk about eunuchs. We all know physically what a eunuch is. It's a guy that's had his privates cut off, right? I've got the guy that is in the choir and I want him to sing the soprano parts. I'm not making this up. They used to do this. Okay? But I think this passage is not necessarily talking about people getting their privates whacked off. It is people who have made the commitment to remain celibate for their entire lives. Maybe they were born with that calling. Maybe they received that calling. Maybe someone did do something to them. Or maybe for the sake of the kingdom, you chose, to, and that's fine. But that is a small group of the population. The rest of us are going to get married at some point in our lives. And marriage is a wonderful thing. But marriage takes two sinners and it sticks them in the same bed. And the fact that marriage has difficulties and the, mar- the fact that marriage has complications should not surprise us in any form or fashion. We tell our mentoring couples, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about bad stuff miscommunication, arguments over this, this person trying to, because marriage has all of those things. But marriage is the picture of Christ and his relationship to the church, and God intends it to be forever. What do we do? We're out of time. But let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to hold marriage in a very high regard at all times. Every young couple that gets married, we're going to make sure they understand what they're getting into. We want them to understand that marriage is a wonderful source of joy and it's two sinners stuck in the same bed, both at the same time, and that's life. It will teach you things that you will not, cannot learn any other way. And that's good, and that's bad. We're going to hold marriage in a very high regard. Number two, we're going to view divorce as the final option, and only in a very narrow set of circumstances. The scripture talks about Sexual immorality. One partner commits adultery, the other partner is free. They don't have to, but they are free to divorce and remarry. But we also have to understand that everything the world tells you about marriage and divorce and no-fault divorce and it doesn't matter, it helps us all grow and we get stronger and stronger is a bunch of baloney. God is working to make you into a particular kind of person that can enjoy and experience eternity. And to do that, we need to be faithful to God in the here and now. I don't want to bash anybody over the head. I don't want to beat anybody with a club. But sometimes we do have to understand what the scripture is telling us. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our marriages and that you would give us patience and kindness to those who are struggling with sin of any sort. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.